0: Amen. So, Barry. Oh wait, kids are dismissed. Kids are dismissed out the back. That's the back, by by the way. Barry, I had a question for you. Do you play the piano? No. Okay. Have you guys noticed that Barry has played almost every instrument on the stage at this point? And sang. I. Anybody know the band MXPX? dating myself. It's it's a old Christian band from back in, I don't know, the 90s. And the, the singer played the bass. And so I was just kind of wondering if that, Barry, you could sing and play the bass at the same time. <laughs> or you could be like Phil Collins and you could drum. Everybody know who Phil Collins is? Okay. Great. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, a uh, couple quick housekeeping type things. Um, number one, um, the, there's a scheduling conflict this, this week. On Friday, we were supposed to have our, our bags tournament, and as anxious as we all are to see Mario dethroned, um, amen, yeah. Um, there, there's a scheduling conflict that is also the date, I just learned this this morning, that uh, they are going to, the Mercer County is going to induct uh, Brian Dennison into the Hall of Fame. Um, And so we as a church body uh, would like to honor that, um, move our bags tournament one week, uh, push it to the next Friday, um, and uh, really invite our church body to come around, support the Dennison family um, for that event next, or this Friday. Um, Brian uh, stepped into eternity, uh, right at the height of, of COVID and all the shutdowns, um, and so the uh, the opportunity to really honor his life and support his family um, really is presenting itself this week, and so we don't want to step on that with our um, our bags tournament. So I'd uh, like to just invite you to, to postpone that. So we'll send out all the information about both of those things so that you're aware of what's happening there. Uh, really um, encourage you, uh, if you can, come on Friday to, to that event at Mercer County um, to make, make room for that. Um, and then the other thing is, and I'm sure many of you are aware of this, but uh, this, uh, this last month or so, uh, we 've had some some interesting developments, and um, we learned that <clears throat> excuse me the uh, the land across the road here was coming up for auction, and so um, we began to kind of talk to uh, the leadership of the church to to determine whether or not the Lord was really putting that in front of us uh, as an opportunity for our church body and it was. Uh, determined that uh, we believed that God was moving on that uh, in our church body. So uh, we called the uh, council, the, the council um, recommended to the church body that we pursue it. And then the church body two weeks ago, no, yeah, two weeks ago, voted. I'm ringing a little bit here. I don't know if we got instruments on or or what. but um, But two weeks ago, we voted in our business meeting to pursue it. And then the church kicked it back to the council to decide what and how, you know, to do that. So we um, went to the auction uh, last Wednesday, and uh, Logan Snyder uh, um, was here earlier this morning at our 8 o'clock, but um, if you see him, um, he's, he deserves just a pat on the back, and uh, I, I would not have wanted to be in his position um, he's our chairman of the trustee board, and so it was his honor to represent the church in that auction. And uh, I don't know how many of you were kind of watching that or heard about it, but, you know, the first round, um, we lost the, the bid. It was a, a bidder's choice kind of situation, which means that you have to have the high bid just to have your pick of whatever, you know, lot, uh, parcel that that you want, and we lost it. We we were outbid. Uh, we went to basically our max, and we couldn't go any higher. Um, and so, um, they picked a different lot than what we wanted. So we had another opportunity to come in and and bid again, and we ended up winning that. There's a story behind that that I'll share um, in the business meeting. Um, but uh, the the Lord was gracious, and uh, we bought the, the the lot across the street here um, at a price that we thought was very reasonable, and. Um, the the other person who was bidding has offered to buy whatever we don't want, don't need, uh, at the price that we paid, um, <laughs> which is so far beyond our expectation. Um, and uh, there's some miraculous things going on with that that, uh, that again, we'll share a little bit more. I uh, invite you to stick around for the business meeting. After the service, we're going to talk about, discuss, and, and po- possibly uh, decide um, how much of that property we uh, as a church body, would like to retain for, for the future. Um, but to me, and uh, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I, I believe this is a, um, a very important moment in the life of this church. Um, not only is it a, a fantastic opportunity, but it's also um, very evident that God is with this whole process um, in a way that, That we almost, I mean, I'm going to be honest personally, I I didn't really expect. Um, God was showing favor and moving and doing things that, you know, we're looking at it like almost uh, a lot less spiritual than we ought to have. (laughs) Um, God did some wonderful things here. So just invite you to stick around for the business meeting, whether you're uh, a member or not. Um, I mean, if you're a member, you can vote, but. We'd love to have your your input. You're welcome to hear what's going on, Um, but uh, that's going to follow the service. So um, let's um, do a little bit of something a little different, okay? Uh, The last few weeks have been just a little bit weird, maybe just for me, okay? I don't know about you, but for me, just a little bit weird because we had a combined service after Christmas, and then we had a couple weeks of just weather And I mean, the weather's not done yet, unfortunately, but, um, and so, you know, we had people missing, and uh, then last week was totally, you know, I mean, a God thing again, um, because Molly and I were headed out for a ministry conference, Um, Seth was, you know, on lockdown uh, with COVID and didn't know when he was going to be free, and all these, you know, and so we're like, well, what do we do? And Rick Magoo, um just graciously stepped in to 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 preach at kind of the last minute um, so very thankful for him um, but uh, it's just been a little you know different in the last few weeks so I want to do a little bit of a recap okay um, of where we've been with the life of Christ and then jump into where we're going so uh, I've I've never really done this before as far as just really trying to put it chronologically all together, um, where it all started and, and getting to the point of Jesus' ministry. So just follow me for a minute. This is stuff that you know, okay? If you've been in any church for any amount of time, okay, you know these stories. They're very, very um, memorable because they're all surrounded, you know, in, in the Christmas season. We, we talk about them all the time. Uh, but just to put it all together. Mary and Joseph uh, received the message from the angels, okay, angel Gabriel specifically, that Mary was going to give birth to the Savior, to the Messiah. Um, Joseph in a dream had the conversation, Mary in waking reality had that conversation, and they were, they were given that knowledge, that understanding, okay, we're going we're gonna to have the Messiah as our child. Almost immediately or pretty soon after that, um, Mary goes to uh, from Nazareth north in Israel all the way down to southern Israel to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is the mother of who? John the Baptist. Okay, so Elizabeth is about six months along. This is why we know this happened pretty immediately because the angel Gabriel tells Mary that Elizabeth is in her sixth month. And so Mary pretty quickly after hearing that she's going to give birth to the Savior, goes and visits her cousin um, and stays with her for three months. And so Mary stays with Elizabeth. Now the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but we can infer this, that she stays with Elizabeth until John the Baptist is born. Would that be a reasonable assumption? Why would you go and spend three months and then leave right before he's born? It doesn't make a lot of sense. But Mary is there she gives birth to John the Baptist, and then sometime after that, we don't know exactly when, uh, but she spends three months, and then she goes back home. Now, here's where the story is lacking some information, but we're going to fill it in with some assumptions, okay? And, and again, when we make assumptions, this is just kind of fair game. You can do it with it what you want. But let's, let's think about this for a minute. Mary has been told that she's going to receive this great gift of being, giving birth to the Savior. She spends several months with Elizabeth. Mary and Joseph are not yet married. They're engaged, but they're not married. Okay, They haven't gone through the ceremony. Um, Mary and Joseph do not get married between the announcement of the Savior and the time that she goes and visits her cousin. Okay, And, and there's a very good reason for that, which is that a, a married person... Okay, recently married person will not leave their spouse for a lengthy time away, and biblically that that wouldn't happen. In fact, a married man was not even allowed to serve in the military for a year after they got married. Uh, they they were required to stay home, build your family, and enjoy your your honeymoon. So, she goes to Southern Israel for several months, and she comes back. And now we're going to assume, okay that she's probably beginning to show. She's probably visibly pregnant at this point. Sometime between then and their trip to Bethlehem, there is a wedding ceremony. They, they have the official uh, wedding ceremony. They're, they get married, okay, because they're not going to travel together as engaged people to Bethlehem and stay the night together. That's just not going to happen. So they get married at some point in between, but she's visibly pregnant. Now, In those days, that's probably a little bit of an embarrassment. Would you agree? In these days, it's still kind of like an unusual thing. I wouldn't say it's unheard of, but it'd be a little bit unusual that you'd be visibly pregnant and going through the the wedding ceremony. you see a lot more now than you would then. Um, But that probably was the case, that she was visibly showing when Mary and Joseph actually had their wedding ceremony. And so, but the Bible clearly tells us that Joseph and Mary do not have marital relations until after Jesus is born. So, I'm assuming that that ceremony happened probably closer to the time that, that uh, she was due than it was to earlier. I, I don't know that, but I assume that uh, to some degree that it was, she was further along. So, probably, are you following this whole thing? Probably, um, it was a private, quiet, family ceremony. Probably not a big, you know, public affair with all the parties and all the crowds of people coming. But, in those days, if you had a private ceremony, that was kind of a weird thing, because a wedding is a big deal, right? So, people are talking. They know there's something going on here. And Mary and Joseph can tell... People every day, all day long, that this is a miraculous uh, pregnancy, that this is by the power of the Holy Spirit, that no no funny business has happened, and you know all the rest of it. But I mean, how many people are going to believe that? So people are are talking. That's going to be important in a minute. Mary and Joseph go down to Bethlehem because there's a census being taken in Bethlehem. Both Mary and Joseph are of the house and the line of David. David's hometown is Bethlehem, so that's where they go. There's no room for them. They stay in the um, stable. And that night, she gives birth to Jesus. And that very night, uh, the angels declare to the shepherds that uh, the Savior has been born. Whole announcement. Shepherds come, and they see this thing that has happened. They tell Joseph and Mary uh, what they've experienced with the angels. Uh, Joseph and Mary are, uh, you know, like they're not surprised, but they're like, wow, that's pretty cool. And so... Um, After that, shepherds leave. Mary and Joseph, eight days later, probably found a more permanent place to stay. They ditched the the manger and the the stable, and they found some place to go. And Jesus is circumcised and named the eight days later. And then a month later, uh, they go to uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is dedicated, he is redeemed because the firstborn son has to be redeemed at a price. Mary is purified, and then you have the prophecy and uh, the testimony of Simeon and Anna who say this is the Lord. Remember the the point of that, the reason for those two is that this is a legal testimony, okay? Uh, And a legal testimony means that you have to have at least two people to confirm it. One one testimony, one person's testimony is not legally binding, but two is. So they confirm that. Uh, and then they go and they settle in Bethlehem. They stay there. They find a house, and they settle down in Bethlehem. They, they don't really desire to go back to Nazareth because, why? Gossip, people are talking, and uh, they just don't want to deal with it. I'm assuming that. I don't know that. Um, about a year later or so, the wise men come from Babylon, we assume, okay, the east, and they come and they alert Herod. Herod the Great, who is uh, a wicked genius um, and very paranoid and ruthless, they alert him to the fact that the Messiah has been born and he is the king of Israel. Um, and little did they know that Herod would be after the Messiah, but they did it unwittingly. They, Herod says, go find him, then tell me. They go and they find Jesus in, in uh, uh, Bethlehem, give him the gifts and all this stuff. They're alerted by a dream not to go back to Herod, and they leave by a different route. Joseph is alerted by uh, a dream. Again, he sees uh, an angel in a dream to go leave that very night and go to Egypt, 60 miles-ish from uh, Bethlehem to the Egyptian border. So a few days trip, but they're on their way to Egypt, escape Herod. Herod, Uh, Kills all the the boys in Bethlehem Two years old or younger um, And uh, Jesus escapes A year or so later um, Joseph again is given a dream Go back to Israel Herod's dead They go back But being warned again again, A dream Joseph has like five dreams Or four dreams um, That uh, don't go to Bethlehem Because Herod's son is in power now And he is just as bad as Herod And so they go back to Nazareth. They didn't necessarily want to go back to Nazareth, but that's where they go. Uh, And they settle down there. And then, okay, nine years or so later, we see the story of Jesus in the temple getting left behind. And then Joseph and Mary finding him. The whole deal with uh, Jesus being this whiz kid, right? That's all we know until Jesus turns 30 and he begins his ministry. So that catches us up. And here's how it begins. Let's stand as we read God's word. We're in Mark chapter 1, 1 through 15. Mark 1, 1 through 15 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven the gospel, the good news that you sent your son to die for our sins, to reconcile humanity back uh, to a right relationship with yourself, to change our very nature, to give us hope and confidence of eternal life, to um, forgive us, to fulfill your your law, to ratify all the covenants that you had made with your people by being obedient to your will and then inviting us into that relationship that we might uh, have a representative in heaven who fights for us, who pleads for us, who prays for us, who petitions on our behalf, mediates for us. You sent your Holy Spirit to be a seal, to be a sign, a guarantee uh, that we are truly yours forever. And God, we just, we thank you that you, know, you made all these things not only happen, but made them known to us through your word. I confirmed them, Lord, by crying out from our very hearts. Your word says that uh, our spirit cries out with your spirit, Abba, Father, that, uh, Not only do we call you creator, we call you dad, father, Jesus, brother, Holy Spirit lives within us and uh, we give you praise, Lord, that uh, today as we just begin to explore the, the ministry of Jesus that we would understand that not only do we have salvation, but we have also a ministry that you've called us not only to hope in heaven but to work for your kingdom right here and now. To have a purpose. To do something. To help people know that there is hope. That there is something different, something more. Something significant, Lord, that this world as dark and lost as it is, um, is loved by you. And we get to be part of your solution to bring healing and help. So help us, Lord, to not only know that, but to know what our place in it is, Lord, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins with... The ministry of John the Baptist. Um, I'm going to, at some point, okay, in this series, uh, talk more uh, in depth and and, uh, significantly about John the Baptist, but for right now, just to understand who he is, um, the last words in the Old Testament speak to John the Baptist. Uh, If you want to read this, it's in Malachi 4. Uh, and beginning in verse 4, it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Now, the the prophecy of Malachi is, say, is saying something significantly about John the Baptist. He's going to talk about, he says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah. Before he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, he's reminding the people of the law, the requirements, the standards, and the covenant, which means that, the people have been given um, a, a legal contract between themselves and God that they have, uh, they have verbally and, um, and physically assented to. It means that they have agreed with God that they will do what his word says, that his covenant is binding. And what that means is two things. One is if we obey and follow the rules, then we will be blessed. How many of you know? Okay if we disobey and are unfaithful and we break the covenant, then we will incur the curses. And the whole Old Testament is basically this back and forth issue between God and his people. They're breaking the covenant. God's patient and faithful and and merciful and he's forgiving them and he's he's withholding his punishment. Um, But they continue to have this relationship where they repent. Uh, God's going to be faithful and just, but he's also holding them to his covenant. Here's what happens. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. If God had not sent Jesus, then he would have to basically end the earth, okay? It is getting that bad. It's like the days of Noah. It's like the, the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's, sin is heaping up so much that God has to do something. There has to be some kind of solution to this whole thing. So he's sending John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the final Old Testament prophet. There's a 400-year gap between Malachi and John. But essentially, John is the last voice of the Old Testament prophets. He is telling the people, the law says this. Here's the requirement. Here's the command. Here's the covenant. You have failed again and again and again to uphold your end of it. So repent. And he calls the people to repentance. And they, by and large, they repent and they go and they get baptized. It's a baptism of... Ceremonial cleansing—it's a sign that that God is gracious, that they can purify themselves, and they go through this process over and over and over. It's not the baptism of Jesus, which is one time. Okay, the baptism for salvation through Jesus is a one-time sign that I'm in Christ, He's in me, and I'm a new creation in Christ. The baptism of John was this constant cleansing; it was like an Old Testament ceremony of purity. Okay, and they would do it over and over and over. They would plunge themselves into water, and they would wash away their sins. They would call on the name of the Lord, and that was the baptism of John. So it's kind of weird, in a way, that Jesus would be baptized with John's baptism. Would you agree? You ever wondered about that? Like, that just seems kind of strange, that that Jesus himself, who is pure, who is perfect, who's never sinned, who's never rebelled, never been disobedient one time in his life as God in the flesh, why would he be baptized? He has nothing to repent of. He has nothing to be sorry for. He's never had a disagreement with God. You ever had a disagreement with God? (laughs) God, I don't understand what you're doing here, and I wish you would change your mind about that. He never disagreed with God. Just God's will, and he was in agreement with that, and he did it. So here's the thing is that, Um, We don't have a lot of information in Mark about this whole process of the baptism. Matthew tells us more of the story of what's going on here. There's a discussion between Jesus and and John about the baptism. John rightly understands that he needs to be baptized by Jesus because Jesus has the power of the Holy Spirit and he's going to baptize his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. John just has a, a, a simple purification process. Why would... Why would he baptize Jesus? He needs to be baptized by Jesus. And Jesus says it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Okay? Now, let me confess something. Okay? As an evangelical Baptist minister, we tend to, me, we, tend to use the baptism of Jesus as a proof text for believer's baptism. That since Jesus did it, then you and I also ought to, as believers, be baptized by immersion. Because why would we not do something that Jesus was willing to do? What in you or me, in our pride, would prevent us from doing what Jesus was so humbly willing to put himself through? You ever heard that before? You ever heard me say that before? (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. There's plenty of other scriptures in the New Testament to uh, teach and declare and to reveal, okay, that we ought to, as believers, be baptized, okay? I don't need to, we don't need to use this as a proof text for that. Um, That's not really what that's about. I don't believe Jesus was baptized like, okay, someday, 2,000 years from now, people are going to need, you know, to see this so that they'll be baptized. Like, that's probably not the deal. The deal is this. Two things. One is that um, Jesus is connecting and confirming uh, his ministry with John the Baptist's ministry. Okay? He is validating that John's message is the, the right message and that Jesus is part of what he's leading people to do and to be about. It's connecting the law and grace. It's, it's revealing that um, you need to understand that you have broken fellowship with God, and that has to be restored somehow. And and why that's important is because in their day, but really a lot in our day, um, the message of Jesus is removed from the idea that there's any sin in people's lives, or any brokenness between God and people, or any need to be forgiven, or any fault on our part. And what I'm saying in a roundabout way is that We love to preach Jesus. We don't really love to preach sin. And and the problem with that um, is that if you do not understand that you have a naturally, okay, by virtue of your inheritance, uh, a broken relationship with God, and you are not going to heaven because you are a human being, and that you are guilty before the Lord, and he is holding you to an account and that you will be accountable to him when you step from the living into eternity, into the land of the dead, that you're going to come before God, and he is going to judge you, and he's going to judge you based on the law unless you have the Savior in your heart confirmed as your Lord by virtue of your receiving him intentionally, mindfully, in your life, if you don't do that, then you are lost and going to hell because the sin that you have in your life separates you from God. And until Jesus heals that, forgives that, reconciles you to God, then that sin will be what God sees. He's going to judge every human being according to the law until or unless our lives or our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? You, we understand that? And so Jesus says the gospel, the good news of the Savior is good news in light of the bad news. This world doesn't want to hear that. This world wants to hear everybody's going to heaven, God loves you, it has nothing to do with whatever you do, um, God would never send you to hell. Um, that's only really reserved for the, the Hitlers and the Stalins and the really you know, horrible... You know, murderers and serial killers of this age but, but really for the common person everybody's saved and going to heaven and, and that's just what you deserve because you're such a great person it, it's, it's a hard message but Jesus' message is very exclusive he says that salvation is based on his fulfilling of God's requirement personally on the cross in our believing it, trusting it, and taking hold of it by faith. And anytime you hear a message that doesn't square with that, you have to be aware that what is happening is that somebody's trying to make you feel good about yourself. And it's a satanic ploy to steer you in the wrong direction. Because Satan would love for people to be convinced that they do not need forgiveness or reconciliation or salvation, that all they need is just to feel good about themselves. You can feel great about yourself through Jesus Christ. Okay? This is not a beat people up over their sin issue. It's a recognize that I'm lost without him issue. So he connects his ministry with John the Baptist, and then he connects himself as the federal representative, okay, that means that he is the second Adam. Adam was the representative of humanity. That's why we're all sinners based on what he did, because he chose. Okay, Eve is not the federal representative of the human race. Adam is. She was deceived. He chose to disobey. He knew what he was doing. He represents the all of human race in sin. We're all, in, we inherit that. We're just we receive that nature because of the virtue of him being our representative. Jesus is the new representative of the human race and he's the representative of grace, of forgiveness, and of a right relationship with God. And so what he does in the baptism though is that he says he's connecting himself with you and me, saying, I'm going to represent the world by saying that the world needs forgiveness. The world is wrong, and it needs to be reconciled. So that's the other reason why he's willing to be baptized, because he wants to represent the human race accurately. And then something happens, which is kind of interesting, okay? While he's coming up out of the water, immediately the heavens are being torn open, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. So manifestly speaking, okay, the Spirit physically, you can kind of see him descend on Jesus like a dove. Wouldn't that be cool if every time we baptized somebody, you just saw like this thing come down on them? And I, I would love to see that. So, um, what happens though is that thinking, does Jesus need the Holy Spirit? You ever think about that? He's God, right? He's the second person of the Trinity. He says that that He is the image of the invisible God. That uh, Philippians says that uh, being in very nature God. That He is the deity in human form, okay? He's, he's self-existent, that before Abraham was, I am, that I have all authority on heaven and earth to lay my life down and to pick it back up again. Like, I, he can forgive sins, he can walk on water, he's, did he need the Holy Spirit for power is the question, and I don't think so, okay? I'm not going to be too bold on that issue. i The Bible doesn't say one way or the other, but he's the second person of the Trinity. He is God. Does he need the Holy Spirit? I don't think he needs the Holy Spirit for power, not like you and me. Okay? He has a perfect nature. We don't. I tell you this. I need the Holy Spirit every single day of my life because I am weak and forgetful and limited and sinful and... Just to, I mean, stand up here. I, I said this. This is funny. I said this in Sunday school. I, uh, I said, uh, there are, have been times I've prayed for humility. You ever do that? Be very careful when you do that. I pray for humility, and, uh, and sometimes God will, will humiliate me. <laughs> and what, for me, how it works is I'll be in front of a congregation And I'll be preaching, and I'll just almost physically just feel like the Holy Spirit just stepped aside and said, okay, you just do it on your own. And I'm telling you, there have been several times in my ministry, my preaching ministry, where I felt like I needed to just apologize to the congregation and go sit down. And what's funny is I said that in Sunday school, and I saw, heads (laughs) nod, like... (laughs) I didn't think it was that obvious, but um, it does feel like that. I, I just i I, uh, I i i'm not somebody personally. Okay, it's not all about me, but I'm just not somebody who would have chosen to be in front of people speaking. Never would have chosen that for my life. That's some people's dream. Some people are like, man, I just wish I could get in front of a crowd and talk and share or whatever, and, and that's my nightmare. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has enabled me to, to do that. That's not my gift. It's not, or I shouldn't say my gift. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not my personal talent. It's my, my, not my personal desire. The Holy Spirit enables me to do that. And the Holy Spirit enables you and I to do uh, a, lo- a lot of things that we could not possibly do. And when we're in tune with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then what we see is that we're able to walk through things that we, we could not have imagined walking through. You, you had that experience? Just like if God wasn't there, where would I be? W- what would I have done? How, how do you get through that? That broken relationship. How do you get through that? that death? How do you get through that medical diagnosis. But how do you get through that the child who's rebelling situation, the job loss? How do you get? And you just, like, can't imagine how somebody walks through those things without the Lord. And you just can't imagine it. Like, I have such peace, but if, if I didn't have Jesus and if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me, I think I'd have gone crazy over that situation. I'd have lost it. And uh, we need the Holy Spirit. We have been gifted this power. It's not our power. It's his power at work in us. And all I'm saying is that Jesus didn't really need it for power, need the Holy Spirit for power, but he did receive the Holy Spirit as an anointing, as the king. I believe that's what is happening here. The Holy Spirit is anointing Jesus not only as the second Adam, but also as the second David. He's the king that David never was. He'll be the king that that we truly deserve, that will rule righteously from beginning to end, benevolently, lovingly, perfectly, holy. He's going to do that. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit as a representation of the rule of the kingdom. Because this is what it's talking about. It's the kingdom of God is near. And he's just been anointed king. So right after that, immediately, he goes into the wilderness. Mark doesn't talk a lot about what happens there. um, But we know from the other gospels that Jesus is fasting for 40 days and that he is combating Satan. Um, Mark does mention that he has this Uh, temptation by satan here's why is because jesus as the second adam has to go through what adam went through okay he's going to represent the human race um, as our federal head he's he's going to represent us in glory then he has to undergo the same kind of trial that that adam went through and he has to win and here's the deal i mean I, i don't know if you've already caught this But since Jesus won against Satan and he represents us, then that means that you have victory over Satan already. And we, I mean, we go through spiritual warfare. There's no doubt about it. um, But the Bible clearly tells us he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That, I mean, I, I don't know how to express this, honestly. But as a believer, I have nothing to fear from Satan other than being deceived. Which means that I have to remember and, and pour my attention into God's word and in prayer to let that word convince my mind, change my mind, correct my thinking, and then steer my life so that I don't get caught up into the lies that Satan is pouring into this world. He is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning and that's how he gets people. He is intentionally seeking to deceive believers. He should not be able to. Okay, there's no reason why believers in Jesus Christ ought to be deceived by the lies of the enemy. And the the reason and the the way, I believe, that people are deceived by Satan is because they initially put their faith in Jesus. Yes, I believe Jesus for salvation. And then they... I don't want to sound judgmental. This may sound judgmental. I'm sorry. But we we grab a hold of salvation and then we just spend no time with the Lord, we don't read his word, we might show up to church and hear a message and maybe that's all the Bible we got all week long. And I'm telling you, if this is all the Bible you're getting all week long, it may may seem like a lot in the moment, but it's not enough. And the reality is, and I've said this before, please do not take my word for it. You have to explore it on your own. You have to get into it on your own. You have to read it for yourself. You have to think about it, dwell on it, chew on it, meditate on it, pray about it. And let the Lord draw you into that relationship with himself. One verse a day in a devotional isn't enough. I'm not saying you've got to read you know, cover to cover every day. I'm just saying, you know, chapter a day should be minimum for all of us. Just to get that word in your mind, in your heart, and let it, do, let it do its work. God said he will never let it return void without doing the work that he intended for it. So, so we have to do the work of putting it in. Amen? And some people have a hard time reading, so listen. Get it on a, a, an app, uh, some kind of an audio thing. Listen to it if you can't read it. Listen to it while you're reading it, if that helps. Get it into your heart and your mind there's there's no substitute for that he has defeated satan on your behalf and he's calling you into that relationship and then says this after john was arrested jesus came into galilee proclaiming the gospel of god and saying the time is fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel he's going to step into the ministry that god intended for him okay There are a dozen sermons in that verse alone, okay? I'm gonna sidestep that for a moment. We understand the gospel of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He came to be the Savior of the world. He's gonna go to the cross and he's gonna pay for the sin of the world. As an evangelical Baptist pastor, we tend to focus on salvation. That's the whole point. That's the major point. That's a very big issue. You're going to die someday. You're going to step into eternity. And we want to make sure that you're ready to do that confidently, knowing that you're going to go to heaven. Amen? But sometimes we get so caught up in that message, we fail to remind you that you are saved for a purpose, that you have a ministry, that you were called into not just a confident assurance of heaven, but into serving God right here and now. That if you are a believer, if you have trusted Jesus, then you have been called and gifted, and God has plans. He says that that there are good works that He has planned in advance for you to do. Amen? And we, we talk about ministry. That's kind of this big word that's like, well, ministry is like what? You know, pastors do and people who teach and stuff. There are gifts of ministry that get a little bit more publicity than others, you know, preaching and teaching and leadership and administration and stuff like that. But the reality is that every person who has the Holy Spirit has been gifted with the ability to do two things, honor God and do His will. And it, where we might get caught up is the idea that it's supposed to happen within the church. And so I'm not serving in the church, so I don't really have a ministry. And it's very valid, it's quite valid to serve in the church. Amen? Totally valid to serve in the church. There are a lot of lost people in the church. No offense. (laughs) We got kids coming through the doors, young people, youth, and adults, all the time, every day, every week, that we're ministering to, seeking to help them to know Jesus Christ, and we need people to serve. Okay, but your ministry may not be within the walls walls of this church. Your ministry may be in your home. Any parents out there feel like you're you got your hands full with trying to minister to your family? Okay, and some of the people raising their hands also serve here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Your ministry may be your character you're living out, your Christian character in your school, in your classroom, in your workplace. Whatever you're doing, your character as a believer, but you're intentional about it. And this is the thing that we get caught up in. Most of the time, I'm not trying to lecture you, but most of the time I feel like Maybe this is just me. I'm just trying not to mess up. You ever feel like that? Just trying not to be a jerk and lose my cool and say something I shouldn't say or do something I shouldn't do. I'm just trying to what that is 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 me trying to guard my salvation. And what we have to do as a as believers is be confirmed and confident in our salvation so that I can live my character out, my Christian character, in my workplace, in my home, being intentional about it in school, in public, in private. That, that's where ministry is happening. You have a ministry, whether you know it or not. You may just not be intentional about it. And all I'm saying is, and if I can just encourage you, is to step intentionally into that calling. Just the, the exponential expansion of the kingdom only happens when believers in each and every seat are regarding themselves as a representation of Christ wherever they go. If this is all the ministry that we do right here, this moment or Sunday morning worship, then that is so minuscule. It's so tiny compared to what God can do if God's people just go and do ministry wherever they go, amen? That's his call. That's his intention. That's his will. And we can do it every single day. And Father, we thank you that you've given us the power and the ability of your Holy Spirit to do that. And sometimes it's going to be verbal. We're going to speak the name of Jesus. We're going to ask if we can pray for somebody or a situation. Sometimes it's just going to be quietly refusing to do what everybody else is doing. And uh, maybe we don't even get noticed for that. Maybe we do. But just stepping into Christian character and integrity and standing on the truth when the world is just running towards lies and darkness. And God, we pray that you would take whatever faithfulness, Lord, we, we offer, whatever opportunity you've put us in, and just glorify yourself in it, Lord. Begin to shine light in the dark place. Reveal your will. And God, we'll just give you all the praise. Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you have better plans than we do. And we just commit this time, this day, our lives to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Invitation this morning is simple. Maybe this morning you had just a revelation of what your ministry is. Um, And maybe it's a new thing. I just realized, oh, this is my ministry. Um, And you want to just commit that to the Lord. Okay, God, I need to serve my family. I'm staying home, I'm raising the kids, and and I know that's my everyday job, but now it's, I need to make sure these kids know Jesus. I need to be intentional about that, uh, not hope that they catch it, but I need to make sure that they know where hope is, um, or your job. You're just, you're working in a dark place, and you know that the people that you're working with need to know Jesus, but you're just trying to keep your head down and Maybe God's telling you, you know what? This is, it's time to be a real Christian in that place. Be bold about it. If that's the case and God's just revealing your ministry, just come and just make that commitment. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Amen? Let's stand and sing.